Thanks for tuning in. One of the things that makes a show like Outcasting possible is financial support from listeners like you. Please visit us at mfpg.org and click on support to make your tax-deductible contribution. Thanks. It was Father's Day, and we were at a restaurant. Jesse looked at both of us and said, you know that couple that I'm friends with? Well, it's the guy I'm interested in. He was offered a job in California. He left very shortly after making this announcement. Mimi sent me out to California to get the scoop, and she gave me a piece of paper with a list of questions. (laughs) And at every turn, he stonewalled me. And finally, he gave me my moment to ask him the questions. We're in a swimming pool, and he said, okay, now. And I got so excited that I dropped the sheet of paper into the pool, and I lost every question. (laughs) This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. Hi, I'm Lucas. A lot of parents assume that their children are heterosexual and cisgender, and many may think it would be quite awful if they weren't. From the moment a child is born, many parents make all kinds of assumptions about what the child's life will look like. Many of these assumptions are based in norms, expectations, and stereotypes that follow the assumption that the child will be heterosexual and cisgender. Parents might envision their daughter walking down the aisle in a wedding dress, marrying a man in the distant future. The parents may think about how proud they'll be in that moment and how they'll know they've been successful in raising their child. But when a child is gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, gender nonconforming, or otherwise a member of a sexual or gender minority, those assumptions may be challenged. And a lot of people might feel that if their child doesn't fit those expectations, it speaks negatively about their parenting abilities. Ultimately, it's rooted in the idea that being LGBTQ or having LGBTQ children is a bad thing, or at least not as good as having straight cisgender children. This can be very damaging. Emma was an outcasting youth participant during their high school years. They spoke on an edition of Outcasting Overtime about how, after coming out, their mother went through all of the stages of grief except acceptance, called a psychiatrist, told Emma, it's just a phase, and functionally forced Emma back into the closet, shutting down a big part of Emma's identity. And it can get worse than that. Some parents actually disown their children when they find out they're LGBTQ. The implications of family rejection for LGBTQ youth are alarming. According to the Human Rights Campaign, LGBTQ youth are more than twice as likely to be homeless as heterosexual cisgender youth. The Trevor Project reports that lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth are almost five times as likely as heterosexual youth to have attempted suicide. Family rejection makes a lesbian, gay, or bisexual person more than eight times as likely to attempt suicide. The suicide rate is even higher for transgender people, with 40% of transgender adults reporting having attempted suicide, the vast majority when they were under 25. But it doesn't have to be that way. How much better a world we could have if parents did what all parents should do, just love their children, whether those children are straight and cisgender or LGBTQ. On this edition of Outcasting, Outcaster Alex continues his conversation with Mimi and Jerry Goodman of New York. Both of their now-grown children, Jesse and Sarah, are gay, 
For them, that has been wonderful. This is the second part of a series. Both parts are available on our website, outcastingmedia.org. Mimi and Jerry Goodman, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. We're happy to be here. So glad to be here. Both of your children now identify as gay. Right. Sometimes when LGBTQ children are young, even before realizing that they might be gay, they become reclusive or exhibit signs of self-examination. Um, Did either of your children have that? Because it sounds like Sarah was a little bit quieter, a little bit more um, internal. Did you see that in either of them? So let's let's remember that that Sarah, who's seven years younger, came out four years before Jesse. Okay. She came out when between the age of fourteen and fifteen, and she had a period where, when Jesse moved out, she moved into his room in the basement. And she became kind of reclusive, wouldn't you say, Mim? Yes. I'm going to back up to give you a little background. We went through a difficult period in our lives. We went through a period where um, we experienced the death of uh, both of her grandparents. And also, Jesse moved to Israel, actually, for a period of time. So she, her brother was far from home. So she seemed as Jerry said, very reclusive. She seemed, I don't know that we realized at the time, but definitely depressed. And both of us thought, again, remember I told you I'm a social worker and Jerry's a teacher. We've dealt with many, many children, but it's different dealing with your own child. So teenage angst is a very common thing. Teenagers don't always confide in their parents, usually don't confide in their parents. And for for a period of time, I think we're saying, oh, she's just a typical teenager, not talking to either her mother or father. And then all of a sudden, it, it kind of hit me. Um, I was at work, and I, and I think I said to myself, wow, I think that this has crossed a line. I think it's a line of not typical teenage, but actual depression. And I remember calling Jerry uh, from work, and I said, you know, I think we need to have a family meeting. And it was at that family meeting that actually Sarah came out. So uh, I'm not so sure we're going to say that she would have first come out to us, but that we maybe forced the issue as to what's going on, that you're really shutting us out, and we're feeling it, and also, like we miss you. Although she didn't actually say she was gay. No. She said she was in love with a person. Yeah. So I think there is a little bit of a difference there. And that person happened to be a person of the same sex. But I think it is important to know because it was even, it was like, I'm in love with a person and I don't want to label. I don't want to, I, I mean, I'm 15 years old and I don't want to label myself at this point. And Again, because, you know, I've worked with many students and I was the co-advisor to the Gay Straight Alliance. One thing I learned in a humble way was that I had no right to label anybody, whatever I thought about them, that it was up to them to label whatever label they wanted to use for themselves. And so there was an incredible relief. I mean, just, I mean it, was... it felt like her depression just lifted. You know, you, I mean, you are absolutely correct in what you're saying, but just in terms of that, it was a remarkable change that she was holding on to this, this thing, and she wasn't sure, obviously, how we would react, and uh, it was like a burden that was just lifted from her. 
she didn't say very much. So we called this family meeting. And at this family meeting, we said, um, she was sitting there sort of hunched over. And we said, well, Sarah, um, okay, are you doing drugs? <laughs> okay, we. I remember I'm a social worker. Uh, no, yeah. uh, no. Sarah, are you pregnant? We'll know how to deal with this. No. Uh, Sarah, are you a serial killer? Because we'll stand by you. <laughs> we did say that. No. And then I think Jerry said, because we knew she had been hanging out with this girl quite a lot, and it felt a little bit different. I mean, girls have their girlfriends. Uh, but it felt different. There was something different about it. And Jerry said, are you gay? And then that's when she said she was in love with this girl. And I started to cry. And I'm I'm not a big crier. She, for many years, said to me, wow, why did you cry? And I said to her, because it was just a new world. You know, it felt strange. And, and she was even able to say later on, well, obviously, if she were any of those things, except maybe the serial killer, <laughs> there, there was a roadmap. There would be a roadmap. And remember how many years we're going back. She said, but I understand there w there's no roadmap as to how you handle this. And in a way, she was right, because remember, there was no support from other people, because people weren't coming out. So you didn't say, oh, let me pick up the phone, and I can call my best friend, and she has a gay child, so we can talk. You didn't do that then. So she was right, that there felt like no roadmap. But I also think that one of my predominant feelings was um, fear and safety and worrying about there's nobody out. It's hard to relate to that feeling now, but there was nobody in her school at the time who was saying, I'm an openly gay student. So there was a feeling, I, I think the crying came from a, you know, a host of many, many different feelings for your child. I mean, we were living in a very heterocentric world back then. Anytime you would see or hear anything about a gay person, it was basically the biggest fringe type of, of group at that time because that's what's sold in terms of TV and in uh, any other media. Ellen had not come along yet in terms of her show. And we're talking back in a time when not so further back from that, it was considered a mental illness to be a member of the LGBT community. So a couple of years later, your son Jesse also came out. What was his coming out experience? It was Father's Day, and we were at a restaurant, and Jesse looked at both of us and said, you know that couple that I'm friends with? Well, it's the guy I'm interested in. So that was his initial coming out, and of course, there was not an ability to really flesh it out at all at the restaurant. And then, and I'm going to leave that to Mimi. Well, I, <laughs> this is a funny part of the story. He was offered a job in California. He left very shortly after making this announcement before we had any chance to process it. Jesse definitely is somebody who fits the heterosexual world, I think, image. So I don't think there was any thought on my part that Jesse might be gay. He had been engaged to somebody from Israel for a while. So at this point, Jesse took off for California. Mimi sent me out to California 
To find out the real deal. <laughs> to get the scoop. To get the scoop. And she gave me a piece of paper with a list of questions. <laughs> and in my mind, I must not fail, Mimi. I must make this happen. Investigative journalism. <laughs> and at every turn, he stonewalled me. It was impossible. And finally, he gave me my moment to ask him the questions. We're in a swimming pool, and he said, okay, now. And I got so excited that I dropped the sheet of paper into the pool, and I lost every question. <laughs> uh, Jesse came back from California, and the two of us went to the theater to see the Rocky Horror Show, and we're sitting in the lobby, and I said, okay, Jesse, please tell me, I, we just want to know, do you consider yourself bisexual? Remember, we had learned a thing or two by now. You had Sarah done your had research. And Sarah had been out for four years. I said, are you bisexual? Are you straight? Are you gay? Jesse's at the master, is a master at not totally answering things. But when I came to gay, he nodded his head. He didn't speak much. I did all the talking, but he nodded his head. <laughs> and so at that point, I said, oh, Jesse, we love you no matter who or what you are. That night, Jesse went dancing at a Spanish dance club. He met Maximiliano, who is our son-in-law. And I think that it, there is no accident that he met Max that night. And I think what it speaks to in this story is when you can be who you are, when you can be your authentic self, when you can feel that your parents love and accept you, you're free also, I think, maybe to be a free person and accept love into your life. And I don't think it's any accident that that he went out that night and met him. I think it just, it's always been very moving to us that it happened that way and, and speaks incredibly for what the love and acceptance of parents mean. It's just a powerful thing. That's such a great story. <laughs> but I'm going to add one other thing. That we were sitting in the living room and Jesse said, you know, I could, I could pass. And, you know, I understood what he meant because, remember, I said he's somebody that uh, the straight world would accept as straight, not stereotypic, maybe, not flamboyant, not effeminate. He said, you know, I could pass. And he said, but I, you know, I, I don't want to. And then he said, but I'm really sorry if I'm a disappointment to you. That went into me like a pain in your heart. And I said to him, you could never be a disappointment to me. When he said that, I said, that's just it. I'm going to love and accept whatever, whoever he's with, whatever he does, because to me, the idea that your child could say to you, I'm sorry, I'm a disappointment, it's unacceptable to me. I just could never make him feel that he was a disappointment, and I would never want him to feel that for a moment. It was a very powerful moment between us, and it was a really, I don't want to say a turning point, but something really in me said, wow, that's it, I, you know. That's it. <laughs> so both of you are very aware of your children's feelings. Were there any moments which now, looking back, you would consider heteronormative? Were we heterocentric? Yes. I could look <laughs> back and say heteronormative? Yes, because maybe wanting your little girl to dress a certain way is 
heteronormative. I also remember another conversation where I definitely, boy, I was very tone deaf because I don't want to paint the picture that we were the perfect parents. We certainly weren't. And if you had our children here and we're interviewing them, who knows what they would say. But we were in the kitchen and Sarah said to me, you know, I'm, I may not be like you. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, uh, you know, I may not want the white picket fence even though we didn't have the white picket fence when she said, I may not want the white picket fence and, you know, be married and have children. And I remember being really tone deaf to that comment and saying, well, what do you mean? Don't be silly, you know. And when I look back, I said, well, of course, wasn't. look what she was trying to tell me. She was trying to tell me in many ways, I'm not you. And, and she was also trying to tell me about sexual orientation. And I kind of look back and say, wow, I, I was really tone deaf to that comment. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, produced by Media for the Public Good in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. On this edition, Outcasting youth participant Alex is talking with Mimi and Jerry Goodman of New York. Both of Mimi and Jerry's grown children are gay. Do you think that having two gay children have made you better people? Absolutely. Because number one, it gave us access to a world that we talked about that going back 20 years ago, I don't think there would have been access to that world. And having access to that world, we met just some of the most incredible, beautiful young people that we just loved so much because we we found them to be the most heroic and courageous people. Life is hard enough for teenagers, right? Life is hard enough for young people. They're all in a state of angst at that age. Rightfully so. It's a really hard time and the world is a hard place. And then you meet people who are courageous enough to come out, to be true to themselves. I, I think we just like there are no words almost to describe really how lucky we felt and how fortunate we felt to have access to, to this world. And it was and is a world of beautiful people. I think when you're part of any marginalized group, you're also very thankful and grateful, I think, for a kind group of people. And some of the friends that Sarah met and the friends that we met through Jesse were always so responsive and warm and loving to an accepting environment. I don't know that that's so usual in, you know, with other teenagers. I, I think I, I, I want to add one other thing. I think that's a very strong point of the gay world. I think there are much less age barriers in the gay world and maybe even cultural and ethnic barriers in a way because you're already a small subset. And what we found was that Sarah had friends of all ages, and I don't think that's so common because we are such an ageist society and there's often such a barrier between young people and older people and not really experiencing each other as a person, just saying, I like you as a person, and how age should not matter. And I think, because I'm from a European household, by the way, and, and as I said, age was less of an issue because I don't know what things are like now in Europe, but really, it, it wasn't such an ageist society. And I think, and so our children, I grew up that way, and our children grew up that way. I mean, they always loved grandmothers beyond belief. <laughs> they have a very special <laughs> thing for all grandmothers. But I found in the gay world, we met people of all ages and that there was so much less of a barrier. And I find that a very special, a very special trait. Let me say quite simply, having two gay children has made me a better human being. I say this from the bottom of my heart. When Sarah came out, I was just turning 50. And a time where some people begin to have midlife crises 
where am I going now? What am I doing? I've reached sort of the top and now I'm going downhill. <laughs> it was like the beginning of a new life. And when I say I became a better person, I have to say that I became a more self-aware, sensitive human being. I remember when Maxie, Jesse's husband, is a very um, loving person. And we'd be sitting on the couch watching TV. The next thing I knew, because he was tired, his head was on my shoulder, and my hand is stroking his hair. And I couldn't imagine it if Jesse were married to a woman <laughs> that I would be doing the same thing. <laughs> but, you know, that is one piece of it. And the other, the other, the other piece, as Mimi said, is having expanded our world so much that we have friends all over the world now. Much of our, our life centered around the LGBT community, and I consider most of the people that I've met in some ways heroes for the courage to be their authentic selves even when there is still danger out there. So when I was at the Harvey Milk High School, for example, that year, I became close with the school social worker, a young woman who, when I first met her, had a boyfriend. And by the time the year ended, she had realized that that was not working for her. Just the way, you know, with Jesse, I had said to Mimi, because he's a very good-looking man who had many girlfriends before he came out. But I, I had said to Mimi, here is Jesse, who is a very dynamic human being. I have never seen him with a woman where he feel there's any enthusiasm. I noticed that. And so the importance of being authentic is just the most important thing, you know. I mean, we talked about the uh, psychiatric field calling it a mental illness until they realized that it was not a mental illness. It was the mimicking of a mental illness due to the fact that people will act a bit crazy if they can't be their authentic selves. So this has been just amazing in so many ways, even for our marriage just an extra layer of the bonding and respect that we've had for each other in terms of our focus and our direction and our desire to make this a better world for everybody. So I'd like to finish by asking both of you a hypothetical scenario. Because you've been through the process of having a child come out, not once, but twice, um, what would you tell a parent who may not be accepting of their child's sexuality or gender? Hmm. That is a very tough question because I think that every child wants love and acceptance from their parent. There are a lot of areas where parents, not just in the area of sexual orientation, but again, as a social worker, I've heard every story, and there are people who don't accept their child because they don't want to go into the family profession. They don't want to be a doctor, and they're a family of doctors. They don't want to be a lawyer, and this is an expectation we're a family of lawyers. They maybe decide, I don't want to be a religious person, and their family is religious. There are, I, there are a lot of areas where parents can say, 
they are not accepting of the person their child turns out to be. Again, usually this happens later on as a more of a personality emerges. People spend a lifetime sometimes seeking the approval of a parent, and I'm talking about adult people, to their incredible detriment, to the feeling that they don't feel like a fulfilled person, they don't feel like a fully happy person. And so I would say to any parent to go to a group like PFLAG, look around. Going to a group like PFLAG, a support group, tells you there's nothing that you did that caused your child to be gay. You didn't do anything. These people didn't do anything. That's very strong, you know, to see other people going through it. So I would say educate yourself. Read about things. Read and find out that this is part of the normal spectrum of sexuality. You know, for people who say this is abnormal. No, find out that it's been around since time immemorial and, quote, normal, even if it isn't in the majority. And also recognize that the lack of acceptance and love is going to have an incredible impact on your child. But I want to add one other thing, because what happens to the child if they don't have accepting parents? And here I've just said it's such a powerful thing. Although we want the love and acceptance of our parents, if I had anyone come to me who said that, I'd say, there are a lot of people out there who love you, and there are a lot of people who can love you, and sometimes you create another family. And so it isn't always your biological family. You create another family, and you create a world of love and acceptance, and you make a good life for yourself still by creating that alternate family. And all of that advice you just said applies to anyone in the LGBTQ community, so if they're trans or questioning their gender at all. Yes, I think it's true for anybody in that community. I think I went to a very moving speech after Matthew Shepard was murdered, and it was actually by his mother, Judy Shepard. It was amazing, I thought, that she could speak. It wasn't that long after he was murdered. And it was at a college, and a lot of young people lined up and with very, very bad stories saying, I'm not accepted by my family. And I remember very strongly also what she said at that time. And this does go across the board with lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. One of the things she said was, if your parents are, if you're dependent on them financially, and it's not the right time to come out. You could come out to yourself. You could come out to places that are safe, but maybe it isn't the right time to come out in a non-accepting family because you're dependent on them financially. But the other thing I strongly remember her saying, which is the way I feel and I think that I expressed, she said, find people that love you. Find a world that loves you. Make those people your surrogate family, and you'll be okay. Because not everybody has that warm, loving family. And then you, what we call it with my friends and I, we say, you find the family of the heart. I think it goes across the board. I don't think it would be different if you're gay, bi, lesbian, transgender. I think it's for the whole community. I could not really add much to Mimi's wonderful answer. But I would like to just add one thing. The one plane during 9-11 that didn't reach its target from Pennsylvania, where a group of people got up and fought the terrorists. One of the men who was part of that group was a gay man, and they all perished, obviously. And the mother of this gay man in an interview said, when I found out that my son was gay, I then realized that it was wonderful to be gay. Mimi and Jerry Goodman, thank you so much for joining us and telling your stories. Well, thank you. We've really enjoyed being able to tell them and, and to meet you and talk with you. It has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. 
This has been part two of a two-part series. The entire interview is available on our website, outcastingmedia.org. That's it for this edition of Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. This program has been produced by the Outcasting team, including youth participants Alex, Andrew, Dante, Truve, Amelie, and me, Lucas. Our executive producer is Mark Sofis. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York. More information about Outcasting is available at outcastingmedia.org. You'll find information about the show, listen links for all Outcasting episodes, and the podcast link. Outcasting is also on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home or at school, or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project hotline at 866-488-7386, or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Call them if you have a problem. Seriously, don't be scared. They even have an online chat you can use if you don't want to talk on the phone. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. Again, the number is 866-488-7386. You can also find a link on our site, outcastingmedia.org, under Outcasting, LGBTQ Resources. I'm Lucas. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make a tax-deductible gift to Media for the Public Good. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit mfpg.org and click on support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.